You're listening to the really useful podcast, the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. This week we're looking at Samsung Galaxy's self-repair program, why there is a Raspberry Pi shortage, and why Windows 11's growth has plateaued. We'll also be taking a look at various tips and tricks to help you make the best out of your technology. My name is Christian Colley, and with me is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Doing good, Christian. It is April. Uh, no April Fool's jokes on the show, though, right? No, sadly not. Oh, <laughs> do you know? Do you know? I completely, It snuck up on me. Now, a few weeks ago, my youngest and myself were watching a YouTube video, and the people in the video, and I can't remember whether it was kind of like uh, Ninja Kids or fun kids or nastaya or um that little lad ryan's world don't know which show it was but what they'd done is get a load of googly adhesive googly eyes and put pairs on them and every item in the fridge the night before okay. and then when people came down opened the door everything was staring out at them and my youngest absolutely wanted to do this so I went on amazon bought some adhesive eyes we were set it's about uh six weeks ago and we completely forgot about it. Oh. And she was absolutely distraught. So um, my eldest two, they were away for a couple of nights at a uh, residential. So we're hoping on Wednesday morning we're going to uh, do it so that the twins either see them on Wednesday evening or when they go and sort their breakfast out on uh, Thursday morning, they spot the eyes. So fingers crossed we remember this time. Uh, yeah, it's still within the uh, it's still the it's still within the the week of April Fools. It's kind of it's one of those things where like it's funny to do, but if it's not on April Fools, it's kind of like why the heck did you do this? You know, yeah. like it just seems kind of out of place. Whereas when it's on April Fool, it's like oh okay, it's the right day for it. Are you a fan um, of April Fools? Am I a fan of it? Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily am. Uh, I've done a few when I was younger. I did a few like I like had a few like announcements that on April fools that I, that were not true mm -hmm. um, that I thought were funny when I was like 17 <laughs> and then realized that it was probably stupid to say that. I like, <laughs> uh, yeah. That kind of thing. So uh, I, I mean the, like the really stupid stuff, I guess can be worth a chuckle. Like I, I think the stuff that I think has more effort going into it, like Google maps, eight bits, eight bit version. I thought that was funny. Um, I don't know. Overall, I think it's kind of dumb. Like you have to just remind yourself that nothing you read on the internet on April 1st is real. Um, yeah. Like a yeah. YouTuber that I watch uploaded an eight minute video saying he was giving up on YouTube and the whole video seemed serious where he was talking about the problems with YouTube and all this stuff. And then at the very end, he pulls up a DVD co a copy of the movie up and says, I'm giving up on YouTube Bye. like, like the, oh. it, I don't know. It's like the video seems so serious because everything he was saying was like legitimate reasons to be upset. Yeah. And then at the end, it was just a joke. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of like pranks and practical jokes. I know it's not the same thing, but yeah, the thing about, um, as you say, over the years, you know, we've been on the internet uh, twenty years. Say twenty years, the internet's been like pretty much in everyone's house. And so there's the opportunity to go to websites and there's always April Fool jokes every single year. Now, I, I, and I say it's getting tired. I've been responsible for a few over the years. Um, so I'm not without guilt here, without blame, but it is getting a bit tired. Uh, it, it's just... And the other problem is that things end up in Google News like three or four days later as news. And they're not news, they're pranks. 
That's so true. That, yeah. With, and with, it, with things yeah. today, you never really know if it was, you know, something from a satire site two weeks ago or. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, it's difficult to tell. Anyway, speaking of news, we've got a few news items to tell you about. And I think the best thing, because this ties into the um, things that we've talked about on the Really Useful podcast in the past, um, in, even in the last week or two, we've uh, certainly mentioned it. Uh, the, the 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 saga of my uh, Samsung Galaxy Tab S4, which uh, a few years ago we um, talked about this repeatedly, um, because I uh, it broke, the screen went weird, and uh, it wasn't cracked or anything, it just kind of disconnected inside. And it took a long time for me to get someone out to repair it. I couldn't take it to a Samsung store or a Samsung outlet because the nearest one had recently closed. So it was a case of them having a man in a van come out to my house, take the tablet off me and sit in the van repairing it, then give it back to me. And that happened twice because on the first occasion, they brought the wrong screen. Samsung is about to offer US customers the option to conduct self-repair on select Galaxy smartphones and tablets. Uh, the program is expected to start this summer, and Samsung has partnered with the self-repair expert outfit iFixit to offer self-help guides along with original replacement parts and accessories. I'm very excited about this. It feels like this should have happened years ago, for obvious reasons, uh, but the fact that it is happening at all, and it's Samsung, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged, I'm enthused, it's exciting. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, we saw something like this from Apple. Was that earlier this year or late 2021? I don't remember because yeah, it all blurs relatively together. Relatively recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. About their, something similar where you're going to be able to fix a few things on, on iPhone and iPad models. I think it's great. Um, you know, we've talked before about how we the over the arc of smartphone history, like early phones, uh, you could pop off the back, replace the battery, you know, stuff like that. You could probably replace the screen and things like that if you wanted yeah. to. Then we've got to modern flagships that are, you know, impossible to repair. So it is really great to see this, especially with iFixit, who was just so great at um, having those full guides, you know, whether you prefer to read the guide or watch it, and then they ship you the pack with everything you need to replace the part you're replacing. I mean, I think it's great that if people that want to do this have the option uh, if, you, if you're not comfortable with it you don't have to of course but yeah i think more choice in this area is excellent if it lets you keep your phone for longer and have more control over what you buy absolutely um now this is all part of right to repair there's an article i'll make use of and i'll link to that along with this news item and you know everything else we discuss in this week's really useful podcast in our show notes because right to repair basically is a movement that gives consumers the right to repair their hardware rather than pay for repairs or send it back for a replacement and the you know avoids the resulting uh landfill basically now part of this although samsung isn't clear on whether batteries will be replaceable because um how they're uh, assembled is more than likely in the tablets and phones uh samsung will allow users to mail in dead components for recycling now that's really good as well that is, we just talked about that last week, how we, you weren't sure. Was that, that was us, right? I feel like I'm mixing my conversations where we, it wasn't clear how to recycle a, pro, uh, a old piece of a computer or a phone or something like that. So being able to just send them into Samsung is nice. If, if it's easier, more people will definitely do that. Give yeah, that definitely. Stuff a new home. Definitely. So, we, yeah, so if you've got a Samsung and you're feeling confident that you can repair the bit that's gone wrong, which might be the screen cracking or whatever, and they are ridiculously simple to repair. Um, 
if you apply your mind in the correct manner of it just being a piece of strengthened glass with circuitry and some uh, resistance and basically a plug and adhesive is all that you need. Uh, I'm stripping things down slightly there, but that is essentially the, the bare bones of what's required to replace a screen. If you feel confident enough that you could do that, then Right to Repair is for you. And uh, iFixit is teaming up with Samsung and they can uh, get you the parts and the guides that you need. That's uh, really, really cool. Raspberry Pi is a little computer that's close to my heart. It's close to my hand right now. There's at least two of them on my desk and mm -hmm. there's a few more laying around the place. There's a bit of a shortage of Raspberry Pis, however. Half a million Raspberry Pi units are made a month and that isn't enough for everyone around the world who wants a Raspberry Pi. That's insane, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think, I mean, it's, it's a well-known device, but it's fairly niche compared to something, you know, like a monitor or a TV that everyone has. So I'm surprised that that would go short to that extent. There are various applications for a Raspberry Pi, from a full-blown desktop computer with a Raspberry Pi 4 or Raspberry Pi 400 to uh, little microcontroller tasks with the Raspberry Pi Pico. Uh, the Raspberry Pi is running short, and... It's been recommended by uh, Evan Upton, who I'm a gentleman I met about around 10 years ago for an article to make use of. And I visited the Raspberry Pi uh, factory in Cardiff as well, which is very, very cool. He's recommending that people focus on getting the Raspberry Pi 400 uh, if you're looking for a mainline computer type Raspberry Pi and the Pico for uh, microcontroller projects and kind of avoid the others. Now, the Raspberry Pi Zeros usually are okay to get hold of because they're kind of... They're 50% the size of a standard Raspberry Pi, so they're kind of ignored by a lot of people. Now, one of the reasons for this, it's not actually outlined here, but the Raspberry Pi uh, Compute Module 4, although um, the parts are quite readily available at the moment, there's been a big shortage of those in the Raspberry Pi 4 main models uh, for various reasons. So it's, um, it, is, it is astonishing that there, there's a shortage of Raspberry Pis, like you say, Ben. I um, I've I've been trying to get hold of a computer module for for a while for uh, retro gaming purposes. The details of which I will not go into here because it's far too boring. They're really useful podcast, um, but um, and th the price on those rocketed a few months ago, and uh, they haven't really got back down to normal. So uh, it's um, if if it's a CM4 that you're after, then you've got a problem. But uh, if you just want a standard Raspberry Pi four, get the Raspberry Pi four hundred because it's it's in a keyboard. So you basically, and you get it comes with a mouse. If you get the right package, it comes with a mouse and an adapter and an HDMI cable, and even a, a a manual. It's a very good manual as well. So it's worth doing uh, if you're interested in getting started with the Raspberry Pi. And I think you don't have one, do you? I do have one. Ah, I forget what model it is. I bought it several years ago, so it might be a three series. Mm -hmm. I would have to double check my Amazon order history. Um, I wanted to use it to install a bunch of retro games on. I think I had like a Super NES library okay. um, I was going to use it for. So I, I, I set it up and then I never really used it because it was one of those things <sighs> where once I had the proof of concept of like, okay, I have this big library on here. There were other games I wanted to play that weren't SNES games. So I didn't right. really use it too much. So I still have it, but I have not put it to its full use for sure. I think it's a three series model though. Okay. I think the three is possibly the most popular before the four came along. Um, it just uh, it just had a little bit of extra uh, oomph to it that the um, the original and the two 
didn't. Uh, I mean, I have a spreadsheet on my computer listing what all of my Raspberry Pis are doing at any one time. Now, that sounds a lot more exciting than it actually is because some of them aren't doing anything because they're too old. Uh, at the last count, I had 14 Raspberry Pis. And I'm looking at this list and I noticed the Raspberry Pi 400 isn't on it. I've got 15 Raspberry Pis at least. In That's a lot more house. than I have. That's a lot of Raspberry <laughs> Pis. That's a lot of mine. It's, uh, yeah. Now, some, some of these I've been given to review and others uh, I have... Um, purposed for particular jobs, you know. And the Raspberry Pi 400, I'm kind of holding on to because I think I'm going to give it to one of my children for Christmas as a computer. Okay. Um, one of my older two. So there will probably be another Raspberry Pi 400 bought because they're twins and they don't like to be left out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, probably going to be another 400 bought for this family. But, uh, so yeah, so... Somebody would probably think your house was a bakery if they didn't know what a Raspberry Pi was. Yeah, the you have so right. many. Yes, welcome <laughs> to the really useful baking podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's the Raspberry Pi shortage and what's going on there. And yeah, just buy a Raspberry Pi 400 if you need one. Uh, Windows 11, adoption rate of it went up just 0.1% between February and March 2022. That's in the past, you know, across the past five weeks at the time of recording this, adoption of Windows 11 went up. 0.1%. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, you would think over time, uh, people would be a little bit worried about jumping to Windows 11 right away, which is totally understandable. So you think over time, as it gets a little more solid, and maybe people uh, upgrade their computer for it so it's compatible, or they just kind of get tired of Windows 10 and want to see what else is available, um, they get a little more excited about trying Windows 11, but it sounds like that's been slower than we expected. I, th I think that one of the biggest reasons for this, if I had to preemptively guess, is the hardware requirement because it's not like Windows 7 to 10 where pretty much everybody with a Windows 7 computer could jump to 10 mm. and they just kind of did it either well either because they were forced to with all the trickery Microsoft did or just because they thought, eh, whatever, I'll just upgrade. Not having the option to just click a button and upgrade because you need a better CPU or whatever, I think that's probably what's holding a lot of people back. Well, there's that, and there's also the fact that this is the this is the like the other release of Windows, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. It's that's the bad one. That, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's actually been like so far. I wouldn't put Windows 11 in the camp of Vista and eight yet. But I, I I'm I'm using it and I'm fine with it. Like I don't think it's sure. that bad. But people might have that in their mind of this. It's the Windows curse, so stay away for now. Yeah, and and let's not forget. Windows 10's been really, really successful. And if people are really, really comfortable with what they're using, they're not going to upgrade unless they're absolutely forced to, are they? Yeah, I mean, why... And Windows 10 is, isn't that old. I mean, I guess this is kind of all relative, but it, it feels like Windows 10 is newer now than 7 was when Windows 10 came out, even though it's pretty much the same amount of time. Um, you know, cause like, I think because Windows 11 doesn't really do as much to stand out. Like when yeah. you look at 7 and 10s, like desktop stock photos, they look different, whereas 11 isn't that different. So people no. probably think, eh, I can use 10 for a couple more years. Yeah, yeah. Who really cares? Um, I, I think Windows 7, if you look at a map, uh, or like, a, like a, not a map, but a chart of usage over time, Windows 7 might have more users than Windows 11 still. I could be that wrong on that. That would not but... surprise me. You're going to bring it up, aren't you? Let's see. Yeah, Windows market share. 
Oh, this, oh, hold on. This is all operating systems. Here we go. Windows version. Okay. So Windows 10 is in the lead as of March 22 with about 75%. Second is Windows 7 with about 12.11%. Wow. And then Windows 11 at about 8.45. And then Windows 8.1 is below that at 3%. And then everything else is nothing. Um, yeah. So Windows 7, which has been out of service for two years now, has more users than Windows 11, which is brand spanking new. So Yep, that is a bit crazy. Um, could it be because of Internet Explorer? I doubt it, but uh, Windows 11 is not able to use Microsoft Internet Explorer for good reason, because it's a terrible old browser. And Microsoft is saying that, that if you're still using Internet Explorer, then you can't have Windows 11. Now, you might think to yourself, who in their right mind would still be using Internet Explorer? But a lot of... Uh, apps, applications, custom in-house applications by businesses and organizations, publicly funded bodies, were built around using Internet Explorer. There are some websites that demand Internet Explorer still because they have a use, but they haven't been updated to run on Chrome or whatever. And there are certain uh, web-based technologies that are a bit largely uh, deprecated, but are still required by some businesses and will only run in Internet Explorer. And if you still have to use one of those, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't opened Internet Explorer except for like updating an old article once or twice in years. Um, I think most of those, even internal company websites, I would hope are pretty much done with now. But you never know what company is still using some ancient app that's only available with IE6 on Windows XP. I mean, that's those, that stuff tends to hang on for years and years. Yeah. Yes, it does. So, uh, I mean, I don't think that uh, for a minute that um, be, being unable to upgrade to Windows 11 because people need to hold on to Internet Explorer is the reason. But then again, looking at the figures of how many people are using Windows 11, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, I guess people, I don't know. I mean, if you're still using, if you're still using Internet Explorer, either you don't like it's just someone who doesn't really know how to change their default or download a new browser or they need a reason to use it because i'm sure nowadays i haven't again i haven't opened ie in forever but i'm sure when you open it i think microsoft prompts you to use edge and then when you open up edge it'll prompt you to import your data from ie which is what sure. this article is about um since we were talking statistics earlier just that just for fun um as of march 22 so Chrome has about a 65% share of the market. Safari has an 18 or 19% share. This includes mobile. That's I'm sure that's why iPhone is, yeah. is contributing to that. Edge is at 4%. Firefox is at 3.5%. Samsung's mobile browser is about 2.8. And then Opera is 2%. IE is all the way down at 0.38%. So I don't... That has to be the last vestiges of ancient business apps. Firefox should be doing far better than that. I agree. Very disappointing. Everyone listening, you should be using Mozilla Firefox. It is a far superior browser to Chrome. He says using a uh, web-based application to record the podcast that only works in Chrome. Uh, it's not, I didn't program it. Okay. We're going to move on to some tips and tricks now in this week's really useful podcast. And uh, now we were talking before about uh, Windows and Windows 11 and uh, Windows 10. We've also talked about 
Uh, now, if you are using Windows 11 and things have got a bit uh, untidy, what are you doing? That shouldn't happen yet. You've, you've got months and months and months before things get untidy and you need to clean it because it's uh, slowing down. Um, but if you've got Windows 10 and you haven't upgraded to Windows 11 yet and uh, things are slowing down, then uh, data's taking up space, junk data that you don't need, resources are being used. Ben Stegner is the man because he has compiled a guide on what to do to uh, deal with uh, cleaning computer, handling low disk space warnings, and uh, just basically coping with a slowdown. Ben. I guess I am the man. Call me the Windows janitor. Uh, don't call me that. But if <laughs> so I why don't we just call title, you the window guess... cleaner? Okay, that works, yeah. I get, get, my, get my spray out. Yeah, so I think some people might have trouble thinking about how to clean Windows up. They might think it's super tricky, or you have to check a million places, or you have to install some kind of shady app. You don't really have to do any of that. There are some apps you can install, but they're they're free and uh, easy to use. So um, my, my kind of few-step process for cleaning up your computer when you're low on space, um, first step is to erase temporary junk. Um, so there's a pair of uh, features you can use in Windows 10 and 11 both. Uh, Disk Cleanup is the older version, and Storage Sense is the newer, fancier-looking version. Um, these let you scan for temporary files that you don't really need, stuff like um, Windows update files that it keeps after it applies an update or crash files that keep track of what happened when your computer uh, ran into a crash, things like that. Those can take up gigabytes of space uh, and they are cleared automatically a lot of the time, but if you need space immediately, those are easy to clear and in most cases you can do it without worrying about what you lose from getting rid of them. So that's an easy way to get rid of your temporary junk. And the second step is to look for the largest files on your computer. So in the linked article, which has full steps about what I'm talking about now, uh, I recommend an app called Tree Size Free. Uh, some people use an app called Windurstat for this. I prefer Tree Size just because I, I like the interface. Um, it lets you scan your entire hard disk, and then it will show you which folders are taking up the most space. Um, so it has them at the top, so you can see most of the time in your users folder, that's where your space will be taken up because that's where your videos, documents, pictures live. And then the other big thing will usually be the Windows folder, which you can't do much about because that's operating system files, and then your program folder, which has all your installed games and apps. So this uh, software makes it really easy to see where your space is being taken up. So you might forget, maybe you took a screen recording and it's 10 gigabytes, or you have an old video that you forgot to put on YouTube and it's huge. Um, so it lets you see kind of the low hanging fruit of the big files that you can move to another drive or upload or just delete. Um, and then this step, you should also look at the software you have installed, uninstall any big programs. So maybe you have an app you installed forever ago and you, uh, you don't use it anymore or a game you never play. Um, that's an easy way to free up dozens of gigabytes in some cases, depending on how big uh, that the file is. And then one of the last steps is to get rid of any bloatware. Um, this usually doesn't take up a ton of space, but it kind of can clutter your installed apps list and make your start menu kind of kind of uh, clunky to use. So uh, installing any of the default Windows bloatware or the bloatware that your manufacturer installed is a good step to kind of streamline the process. And then going through your desktop to tidy up the icons so it feels a little more uh, fresh and at home. So that's my kind of general walkthrough process to clean up when you need some space and things just feel overwhelming. Excellent Windows cleanup top tips there from the window cleaner himself, Ben Stegner. All those steps will be available in the show notes, uh, as mentioned, along with everything else we've discussed in this week's really useful podcast. And if you happen to be enjoying the show, please take a moment to head to our Apple Podcasts listing and leave a rating. If you leave a five-star rating with a few words, 
describing how much you like the show, uh, we will read it out. And, you know, you can ask us a question on Twitter as well if you like to. Uh, the links to that are in the show notes. Now then, uh, if you use a Chromecast, you should find that it works pretty well most of the time in, uh, you know, you uh, bring up something on your phone, a video, you press the Chromecast button and it casts to the Chromecast that's plugged into your TV or monitor and you enjoy that streaming experience. Uh, but what if it doesn't work? Well, choppy streams, buffering, stuttering, even freezing at times can affect any Chromecast. I've compiled a list of seven ways to fix choppy Google Chromecast streams. I'm not going to go through these in detail. You can refer to the show notes. But basically, this is what you need to do. The first thing to do is close any other apps that you're using to uh, reduce uh, the uh, load on your phone or tablet and enable more resources to be focused on Chromecast and more bandwidth to be focused on Chromecast streaming. You should also lower the quality settings to stop Chromecast stuttering. The different apps that you use will have their own quality uh, settings uh, so, you know, you might be using YouTube, you might be using Disney Plus, you might be using Amazon Prime, you might be using Netflix, whatever. They all have different settings for adjusting the streaming quality. The third thing you can, can do is uh, stream videos locally. So download them rather than stream them off the internet to your phone, then to your TV. Download them and then stream them straight from your phone to your TV. It's a little bit easier that way. You can also fix Chromecast buffering with an Ethernet adapter. Now, if you're using an original Chromecast, it, you don't have an Ethernet port, so you need to get hold of an Ethernet adapter that is compatible with the Chromecast. If you have a Chromecast Ultra, you may have noticed, or you may not have, it has an Ethernet port in the power adapter, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen, to be honest with you. When I first saw a Chromecast Ultra adapter and had the Ethernet port in there rather than in the actual Chromecast, I thought, what, what a cool idea. Why has no one else done that? Because it just reduces in the number of wires that you've got floating around. Such a good idea. I've never heard of that before either. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so uh, use one of those. You can also reduce Chromecast lag by avoiding apps that don't really support Chromecast. Uh, there's not many of those around these days, but there are still one or two that aren't kind of 100% Chromecast compliant. You can change Wi-Fi channels. This is something you can do on your router, and we have a guide on uh, what you need to do to select a different Wi-Fi channel on your router. This sort of stuff thing, this feature should happen automatically in most cases. Some are older routers, it doesn't, or routers with really kind of uh, basic firmware, it doesn't happen on automatically as well. So it is something you need to uh, go in and do manually. And you can also just wait. Although, I mean, it's not the best option, but, you know, patience is a virtue, so we're told. So you could just wait for the Chromecast buffering because it might be that it's not your network or your device that's a problem. It might be that the service that you're streaming from has an outage of some sort. And, you know, eventually the problem's going to sort itself out. Any Ever run into any Chromecast problems, Ben? I have not used a Chromecast very much. Um, I bought one years ago when I think... I, I had the first gen. I think it was the only one available at the time. Um, and I, I think shortly after that was when I got a smart TV. So then I started, I, I think we talked about this before, like I, because I have the apps on my smart TV, I don't really feel the need to have like a Chromecast or anything like that. So uh -huh. I still have one, but I haven't plugged it in in quite a while. Um, I remember finding it pretty easy to use when I did use it though. I mean, the cast is pretty simple. Um, but yeah, you're, you're definitely right with that last point. It's 
kind of easy. It's easy. You can kind of tell sometimes, like if you open up the YouTube app on your Chromecast or your TV, and then it just isn't working. You kind of get that feeling that YouTube is down, which doesn't happen super often, but you never know. No service is perfect, right? Exactly. Although, I mean, I suppose huh, here we go. Netflix might purport to be perfect. And but did you know that there is a Windows app for Netflix? You don't have to go on your computer and go to Netflix.com if you're using Windows. You can install an app to use Netflix. Did you know this? I did because I think it's one of those apps that seems to be pre-installed or just like appears on the taskbar um, when on a new Windows installation sometimes. I've never used it, but but I knew it was there. And there are various things that you can do with that app. Uh, tips and tweaks for Windows users using the Netflix app is a guide that's been uh, compiled by Make Use of Joe Keeley. And again, I'm going to briefly go through the things that you can do. Number one, well, we just talked about this, download and play offline, which is great if you're uh, using a uh, laptop or a tablet and you're going out. You just download first of Wi-Fi, take it out with you, sit on the train or the coach or the plane or whatever and listen. And, uh, yeah, you uh, don't have to be using any mobile bandwidth or any local uh, public Wi-Fis. Uh, you can stream in 4K and uh, HDR. You can load external subtitles which can be useful uh, if uh, you're not satisfied with the Netflix subtitles. You can add a Netflix live tile to the Windows start menu. You can use Cortana's voice commands to uh, access Netflix. Oh, Cortana, she still has a purpose. And uh, you can uh, stay up to date with notifications from Netflix in Windows, uh, Windows 10 as well. And you can stream Netflix TTV from your Windows computer. That's something I've never done. I've done a couple of these things, uh, but I've never streamed Netflix to my computer. From my computer to my TV, I should say. Yeah, I guess if you don't have a and you don't have a smart TV or you don't have a Chromecast or you don't have a uh, like a game console, anything like that that has the Netflix app, then uh, using Miracast or uh, using an HDMI cable is is a perfectly fine way to do that. A little bit inconvenient perhaps, but it works fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, but so so yeah, some Netflix useful Netflix tips. If you, I, mean, I suppose, really the the number one tip there is, we should call it eight must use Netflix tips. Num number one should be on number. We'll call it number zero. Use the Netflix app on Windows rather than loading up your browser. Yeah, I, I, I if you're, I think I mentioned this on the show before. I prefer for whatever reason, if there's an app available for something, I prefer to have the app. Um, now that doesn't apply for stuff like the Windows Store apps that we've lamented before, you know, like an eBay app. Mm. I don't really need that. I can just go to eBay. But um, in most cases, I prefer to have an icon on my taskbar for something I use all the time compared yeah. to like a pin tab or having to open it in my browser every time. So I watch Netflix on my TV, not my computer. But um, if I did, I would definitely use the app because it's yeah. a couple extra features make it worth it, I would say. Definitely. We're now at the part of the Really Useful Podcast where we discuss our recommendations. Uh, this is basically a stage of the show where we tell you about something that we've experienced or bought that's digital and we've enjoyed it, could be electronics, you know. I mean, it's a tech podcast for technophobes and we're giving you suggestions of what you can do with some tech or watch or listen to or engage with or play or, you know, any of those things really. Uh, we take it in terms usually. I can't remember who went first last week, Ben. I think it was me. I think it was, so I guess I will go first. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, so my recommendation this week is something I've been using for a while but haven't mentioned before. Uh, it is an app available on iPhone, Android, and also the Amazon App Store called Rain Rain. So that's just rain twice. Uh, it is a white noise app that has a lot of different uh, options available for noise and a lot of different uh, ways to control it. So uh, a little bit of background, I... I wouldn't say I'm an insomniac, but I definitely, it takes me a while to fall asleep. I'm not one of those people where like my head hits the pillow and five seconds later I'm out. Um, I think this is because I'm just, my mind just constantly runs. So it takes a long time for me to like shut off my thinking and just be able to fall asleep. So I've tried a few different things. Nothing has worked too consistently, uh, but I have found with this app, um, I usually said there's a sleep timer you can set. So it turns off after a set amount of time. I usually set it for an hour and I think I've only ever heard the end of the sound a couple of nights since I've been using it. I've been using it for several months. So, um, it's definitely helping me at least a little bit fall asleep more consistently. Um, so when you open the app, it, you can look at all the different sounds they have. So there are uh, a bunch of free ones, uh, and there are a bunch of paid ones too. So the paid ones have an icon next to them. You can preview it. If you tap it, you'll hear what it sounds like. Um, but you have to subscribe to get all the uh, premium options. Uh, but there's a lot of free ones. There's, uh, let's see, categories. So there's a lot of rain. So you have forest rain, rain on a window. Uh, you have colored noise, so like white and pink noise. Uh, thunderstorms, sounds of nature, like a crackling fire or wind in the desert. Um, leaves crunching, different kinds of water. Um, some transportation, like being in a train, some stuff at home, like a washing machine running or a dishwasher running, and then just some uh, generic music, like chill beats, relaxing piano, things like that. So uh, there's a lot more options too. And the nice thing is that you can actually create your own mix. So for example, if you wanted to have like a campfire with the sound of a thunderstorm, you could do that and create your own whatever feels most cozy to you to help you fall asleep. Um, you can choose to oscillate the sound uh, so it kind of gets quieter and then gets lower if you like that. Uh, there's all kinds of options like that. So there's a lot of apps like this, but I'm really happy with Rain Rain. Uh, there's no audio ads, so it won't interrupt you when you're trying to fall asleep. There's lots of different choices, and it has helped me fall asleep a little more consistently. So if you have kind of the same problem, I would recommend giving it a try. Do you have a sample of this white noise to give us? Sure, let me pull up. Uh, the one I usually use, let me see my favorites here, is the slow stream, and it sounds like this. That's the slow stream. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the original rain rain is this one. This is just like a general, just the sound of rain. Um, some of them, like the, I, I like the stream one because it's just consistent. Like it doesn't really change. Um, some of them, like the washing machine have like a little softer of a feel, but they're not, uh, they're a little, they vary more. So it's the washing machine. So definitely depends on what you're into and what, what calms you. That sounds like Christian is falls asleep to pretty much anything. So, <laughs> uh, what, what, what? Yes, yes, they are fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, my, uh, I, I would love to listen to stuff like that at night. I used to uh, listen to music for sleeping purposes, and it usually worked quite well. But it doesn't really work well for my wife, and so uh, we, you want to know what we fall asleep to? There's nothing risque about this. YouTube uh, videos? No, NCIS. Oh, okay. Old episodes of NCIS on Amazon Prime. That's funny. I my so 
and the funny the funny thing about this app or i mean working for me i guess if you call it that it wasn't like it was clinically diagnosed or anything but the funny thing about it is i like dark and i like quiet when i'm trying to sleep like i don't want any light any kind yeah. of, except for a fan any kind of noise like if somebody was watching tv in the next room or if somebody was talking downstairs that drives me crazy i can't sleep to that so it is funny that this is like a noise but i think it's just the quality of the noise I have friends that put on different kinds of YouTube videos like Bob Ross or something to fall asleep. I can't do that because anything like that where I want to focus on it, like a show, if I wanted to, if I want to focus on it, it won't, it does not help me fall asleep because then my mind is focusing on it and it's, I'm going to stay awake. Um, and then if it's something like Bob Ross or something, I think the sound would just keep me up because it's not consistent. Like the stream is it's like up and down talking. Mm -hmm. So it definitely differs per person. Okay. Yeah, yes, though. that's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, um, you get used to it. Um, I'm, I'm, I was for many years like you, just prefer like complete silence, complete darkness. But uh, you know, you uh, make uh, you make sacrifices when you get married. I suppose that was one of them. Anyway, so my recommendation is, and uh, it's uh, nice to say I've got something that uh, anyone can uh, just pop out and buy, providing they've got the uh, necessary uh, hardware to play it on. Uh, it is the new, uh, one of the new, because uh, there's two come out every month, one of the new cartridges for the Evercade system. This is Evercade number 24. This is the Gremlin Collection number one. There are six retro games on this. The titles are Zool, Actua Soccer, Utopia, The Creation of a Nation, Premier Manager 97, that's a rogue phone, I didn't know it was going to do that, Hardcore 4x4, and Brain Bender. Now, I note from just reading these, probably only one or two of those titles is known outside of the UK. They were all available, I think, certainly five of them, four or five of them were available on the Amiga uh, back in the day. And they're also available on various consoles at the time. Perhaps the most notable of these is Zool, which uh, is a kind of, came out as a kind of reaction to Sonic the Hedgehog. And I was a, I was gonna say that's the only game. one I th I think I recognize. I don't know that character, but I like that screenshot looks familiar to me. But I have never played that. It definitely looks like a typical like '90s mascot platformer. It totally is. I'm playing it now. You can probably hear it. And basically, what he does, he goes around. He's an ant. He's a kung fu ant, and he can spin to kill things. And he also has a gun to kill things with. And uh, he collects, do you want to know what he collects, dear listener? He collects sweets. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the game came out with a, uh, a sponsorship with uh, the lollipop manufacturer Chupa Chups. So there are giant lollipops all over with the, uh, the Chupa Chups logo on. And it's a fun little game. Uh, I say little game, I've never completed it. Massive game from what I can recall. But uh, yeah, so that's one of the games. And as I say, there's uh, Premier Manager on there as well uh, from the days when uh, all British computer game players wanted to do was run a football team. Because, uh, you know, it wasn't good enough that they were sat in front of a computer screen not getting any exercise. They wanted to pretend that they were running the local team. Uh, so yeah, all good games. Although there is some context here. Now, if you're a follower of Make Use Of, you'll know that we, uh, or I reviewed the Evercade VS uh, at the back end of 2021. Some of these games are more suited to the VS. Uh, Actual Soccer, particularly, and Hardcore 4x4, the display isn't quite 
right in times in terms of scale for a handheld system. So you'd need to be using the Evercade VS, which is, uh, I mean, you can connect any v any Evercade to a TV, but the Evercade VS is uh, kind of a dedicated home console system. Uh, Utopia, I haven't played on here yet, but and I've never played it before, but I have played the sequel, K240, which I had on my old Amiga 1200, and that is very much a mouse-controlled game. So, and like Premier Manager 97, also mouse-controlled, I'd like to, uh, when I get around to playing Utopia, which will be in the next day or so, once I've played Zool a bit more, uh, it'll be interesting to find out whether or not uh, the uh, console interface is preferable to the mouse interface of its successor. I su suspect that is not the case. But these are six good games from Gremlin. And uh, if you have an Evercade, or if you're interested in getting an Evercade and you haven't really fancied any of the games that have been available so far, uh, this is collection number 24. Six games from the 8, 16, and 32-bit eras on there. And they're all worth trying out. I also, so I looked up Zool. I was curious when you said you weren't sure how long it is. It looks like there's a remaster called Zool Redimension. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it came it's on Steam. It's available on Steam. Yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. I like to see when games get a new lease on life like that so they don't fade out in obscurity. That's that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's our recommendations, and that is the Really Useful Podcast. Thank you very much to all of you for listening this week. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. Get in touch with us if you have any questions or suggestions. And do please leave us a review. Until next week, it's goodbye from us. Yeah.